Welcome to episode 42 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 5. We are one spirit, one soul, and together we are creating a library of stories. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Listeners, welcome back to part two of my enlightening discussion with the author of 39 books, including a nine-book series called Conversations with God. The first book of that series, one of my favorites, was on New York Times bestseller list for 134 weeks. It is my pleasure and honor to welcome Neil Donald Walsh back to Sharing Life Lessons. For those who have tuned into today's episode but have not listened to episode number 41, which is part one of this two-part series, I urge you to listen to number 41 first. Today's discussion is truly a continuation. Neil, in episode 41, narrated the background story on how and why his conversations with God started. We also discussed about Neil's effort to globally spread the message that God is pure love. The kind of love which needs, expects, and demands nothing in return. Today, we will talk about this message in depth to understand the kind of impact it can have on mankind if it is universally accepted. Everyone, once again, let's welcome Neil Donald Walsh. Neil, welcome again to Sharing Life Lessons. We recorded the first part of this two-part episode a few days ago, and now we are going to be recording the second part. And I am thrilled that we are doing this in two parts because all of the information that you are providing is deep and intriguing, and it calls for spreading it in two episodes rather than having a one-half-hour episode. So thank you for doing this. You're very welcome, and I agree with you. This is a lot to take in. It was a great deal for me to take in when I was first coming to understand some of these things. And I've learned through the years, actually, especially in most recent months, that when I explain this uh, to other people, it does sometimes take a little moment or two for people to really grasp the depth, just as you said, of what we're saying here, because this is so much different. It's such a contradiction, really, of what all of our cultures, all of our nations, all of our groups, all of our religions uh, have been telling us for many, many, many years. So I appreciate the chance to spread this information out a little bit and give people a chance to absorb it in a couple of different uh, sittings. Sure. And I want to immediately connect to where we left off last time. Good. We spoke about how there is a need for a single notion about God. And so you said, let's redefine God. Let's all together come to an agreement on the definition of God, because as you said, there are 4,300 religions and everyone has their own definitions. And so if we can all agree about this one definition, which you're proposing two words, you're proposing pure love. And my question to you is, why did you choose pure love? Why not anything else? Why not the ultimate creator or the highest energy or the super giver? Why pure love? I think because the other words that we have used in the past to talk about God, some people call it the higher power. 
or the consummate energy or the totality or or whatever word we would want to use or whatever group of words we would want to use is so open to different interpretations. That's been the problem. We have all these words that we use to try to describe what God is, the higher power. What's the higher power? You know, what is that? And how does it work? And how is it defined and so forth? But the words pure love um, do not require explanation. They do not require further definition in the sense that it's very clear. Most of us understand what pure love means. Most of us have experienced uh, moments of pure love in our own life. And even those few people who have been unfortunate enough never to experience pure love have at least witnessed it. They've seen it elsewhere and they know that it exists. And that's what they long for. They yearn for the same experience that they've observed other people experiencing. So the words pure love were given to me as a simple two-word phrase that almost no one could misunderstand. Mm -hmm. We understand the words pure and we understand the word love, but I insist on using the words pure love instead of just the word love, you know, God is love, because uh, even the statement God is love is not clear in terms of precisely what we mean. The words pure love refer to a particular kind of love. Pure love needs nothing in return. It demands nothing in return. When I express love in my life, as I have since I was a young man, to many things, not just to other people, but you know, I love my pets, I, I love certain foods. I say that I love certain sports. Oh, I love to watch this game, whatever. I use the word love so loosely and so frequently that it's not really clear exactly what I mean. And especially when I say to another person, I love you, almost always when I was a younger man, I was hoping to hear, I love you back. Mm-hmm. And it was very difficult for me to say I love you to someone and not hear something or receive something in return. So if I said I love you to the other person, I realized after a few years, after I became a little more mature spiritually and emotionally, that I was simply using my expression of love as a means of receiving love back. And what I have wanted to... Um, share with people around the world is that's not the way God loves. God does not express God's love as a means of receiving love back for a very good reason. God does not need to receive love back. God is the source of the only energy in the universe, which is pure love, mm -hmm. a love which needs nothing back and certainly demands nothing in return. And so I have tried to see whether it's possible for me to express that kind of love in my own human life. Is it possible for me to express pure love, a kind of love that needs and demands nothing in return? And I tried it out on my wife, first person I tried it out with because she's the closest person to me. And I realized that I do love 
my wife, and I don't demand anything in return. You know, I'm, I'm 77 years old. I couldn't have said that when I was 40 or 37 or 27 or 17. I, I didn't understand any of this. But I have learned as I've grown older that true love, pure love, is not an expression of energy as a means of receiving something back, as I just said. Mm -hmm. So I have now decided that I'm not going to use the word pure love. I love you purely unless I really, really understand that what I'm communicating to the other person is I need nothing from you. And what's really wonderful is I, I married a woman who needs nothing from me. Number one, she's 30 years younger than I am. So she certainly doesn't need to try to find some man in her life. The men were following her down the street. She was an extraordinarily beautiful woman and she had men all over the place that wanted to spend time with her. Some people thought, I, I hate to say this, some people thought, well, she married a much older man because look, he's well known mm -hmm. he, and he maybe even has, excuse me for being so blunt, but a little money and maybe she married him because of that. But as it happened, my wife comes from a, a family that has no need for additional money from anybody. Mm -hmm. So she's very well taken care of and doesn't have to worry about how is she going to get through life monetarily. And she doesn't have to worry about how is she going to find a man in her life. So she was able to look at me in the first moments of our loving relationship. And she was able to say honestly to me, you know, Neil, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't need you. I don't need you for anything. I don't need you to have a man in my life. They're all over the place. They, they can't wait to call me and ask me out. I don't need you for money. My family has more money than God. I don't need you for anything. She said, I don't want you to have hurt feelings, but I just don't need you. And I said, wow, that doesn't give me hurt feelings. Wow. But if you don't need me for anything, then why do you love me? Mm -hmm. And she said, I see who you are. And I love what I'm seeing. I love who you are. That's such a beautiful story, actually. You know, and I, and I looked at her and I said, wow, I'm feeling the same way. Because at my age, and this was, I was a, a few years younger than I am now, mm -hmm. 63 years old. But even at, at 63, I also didn't need any of those things that one would think that a person would need in life in order to be happy. Mm. I was perfectly happy. And so we were able to say to each other, with all due respect, I don't need you for anything. But boy, do I ever love you. I love you to pieces because of the person I'm seeing across the room. Yeah. I think that's how God loves us. I think that's exactly how God loves us. Mm -hmm. I love you because of the person I'm seeing across the room. I don't love you because of what I can get out of it. Mm -hmm. I don't need anything from you. I don't need you to adore me. I don't even need you to obey me. I, I just love you just the way you would love a three-month-old baby. If you held a three-month-old baby in your arms, 
you wouldn't have to have anything back from that baby. You love the baby purely because it's the picture of perfection, even if it makes a little biological mistake while you're holding the baby. It's all so perfect. And I believe that's how God loves us, with pure love. So that's the reason that I've decided that the definition that humanity could easily agree on is, what if every religion in the world said, you know what? God is pure love. It could give us a whole new model, a whole new way of behaving with each other if we're going to base our behaviors on the model that God presents to us and overlay that model on our politics, on our economics, on our social interactions, and of course, on our spirituality, to use that as the model for our global behavior. Wow, that would change everything. That is profound, Neil. And this is what I want to do next. Let's play out this change that you want to see in the world and say everyone does agree with the definition of pure love. Let's talk about the world that we both want to live in together. What are you envisioning next? So now what? Well, I think that if we really moved forward in human society with pure love as our model, number one, abject poverty would be eliminated overnight. I'm not saying that everybody would have the exact same number of dollars or the same amount of money in their life, but no one would go starving. 854 million people go to bed hungry every night. Do you know that, that 650 of our children die? They do die mm -hmm. every hour of starvation. Mm -hmm. So I think we would see abject poverty and starvation and uh, deep suffering eliminated from the face of the earth because we would never allow it to happen. No human species that loved its own members with pure love and didn't need to get anything back would allow, do you know that 1.5 billion people, I'm saying 1.5 billion people mm -hmm. have never had one drop of pure water in their life we would never allow that to happen on the earth. Mm. If we really loved each other purely, we would say, no, that's, that's not acceptable, not acceptable. But the reason that we allow it to happen now is because there's no return. There's no return on our investment. Mm -hmm. We wouldn't be treating each other yeah. the way we're treating each other. You know, and just to talk about the economics of it for just a minute, if we really were having an economics based on pure love, we would never charge 700 or 800% more than it cost us to sell an item. But these days in the world, there are some companies that have found a way to make a particular item, and then they charge not 200% more or 300% more. There are some companies that actually charge 700 or 800% more than it costs them to manufacture whatever they're manufacturing. Yeah. And they feel okay about charging that because, well, those that have the money can buy it. And those that don't, well, maybe they can't. The result of which is there are still millions of people who don't even own a computer in this world, a world that relies and depends on computerization. 
to make itself run smoothly, but there are millions and millions of people who still don't even have a computer. Forget about computers. Do you know that there are almost 2.4 million people, I'm misstating it, 2.4 billion people mm -hmm. who don't even have indoor bathrooms. They don't even have toilets. Yeah. And it's, that's incomprehensible in a society or a culture that that claims to be highly civilized. I just want to say that there are people who live in the U.S. who can't even fathom that people don't have toilets in their house. But I have migrated from India and I have seen it firsthand where people don't have it. They're living in small huts in slum areas and... It's exactly what you say. It's sad. That shouldn't be so hard. If we can put a man on the moon, we can find a way to not have to have people living in mud huts and have to relieve themselves outside over in the bushes. I mean, really. I mean, really. So, you know, we have an opportunity here to make it a better world. And what would make it a better world is if we decided that we loved each other the way God loves us with pure love, we don't need to get something back for our investment. And that takes me to my next question, because all of this that you've actually talked about is on a very macro level. Can we talk about the same topic, but at a micro level? Let's get to everyone's homes. Let's get to everyone's individual relationships. Can you tell me how you see pure love change relationships between family members who sometimes can't stand each other, spouses who can't get along. How do you see that change? We don't have to agree with each other in order to love each other. And that's really very important for us to understand. Loving someone purely does not mean that I agree or condone everything that you think or say. The, the, the example that I like to use in my lectures is smoking, just simply smoking. I have a little make-believe cigarette. This is really a piece of tissue paper, Kleenex, but I roll it up to look like a cigarette so I can make my point at my lectures. If I love you, it's okay if you're a smoker. I don't smoke and I don't want people smoking in my house. I don't want tobacco air in my house. But if a person says, you know, I think I'm going to have a cigarette. <laughs> oh, these are so good. <laughs> these are so good. I can't wait to have another 20. But I say to them, if you don't mind, please take it outside. Because this is still my home and I love you. And I'm glad we have a chance to visit. But loving you does not mean I'm going to agree with everything you want to do. I don't agree with you having a cigarette in my house. I don't agree with you coming in here and mistreating me. If, if you're not a visitor, but you're my spouse mm -hmm. and you're mistreating me, I don't have to agree with you mistreating me because I say I love you without needing anything in return. It is not that I need you to treat me well. I simply am making my own choices about how I wish to experience myself in my life. Because a lot of people say, if I love somebody purely, does that mean that I have to put up with being mistreated? Mm -hmm. To say nothing about maybe even being beaten or hit or you know, verbally yeah. abused. The answer is no. But we can still 
love those who have not behaved in ways with which we agree. We don't have to agree with someone in order to love them uh, any more than we agree with some of the uh, things that children uh, say or do, even though we love them. So God loves us as, as if we were little children, because we are acting like children, of course. The person who is expressing pure love says, I'm not going to stop loving you because you're doing things I disagree with. In fact, I'm going to love you more. I'm actually going to love you. As somebody in my lecture said a few weeks ago, love them more? Even, even when you disagree with what they're doing and the way they're behaving, you love them more? How, that doesn't make sense, Neil. That doesn't make sense. And I say, really? It doesn't make sense? Buddha taught, love your enemies and bless, bless, bless those who would oppress you. Because your expression of love is not an announcement of who they are. It's an announcement of who you are. I feel like pushing back on that a bit. You told us a story about you and your wife. And there was mutual selfless love there, mutual pure love there. But see, it wasn't. And you are living with a person who's not returning the favor and is not purely loving you. Would you not think that then it's not possible to continue purely loving? No, I would purely love them at this point in my life. You know, when I was 25 mm -hmm. or 35 or 45, I probably would have acted the way you're describing now, but no, not now. I, I, would, conti I would continue to purely love them. Now, don't misunderstand me. I didn't say I would continue to stay living with them. Mm -hmm. I would continue to purely love them. But I might say, like I would say to the person with one of these in their hand, you know, if you're going to insist, if you're absolutely going to insist on lighting this up, I'm going to leave the room. I'm not leaving the room because I don't love you. I'm leaving because I love you enough to be who you are. If that's the way you want to act, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be outside. And I probably won't invite you into my house anymore if you're going to continue doing that. So let's not confuse pure love with not making any changes. Mm -hmm. If I was in a long-term relationship with someone who is not returning any love to me at all, I would decide I'm not going to stay here. But for a good reason, not because I need something from them. Mm. I wouldn't leave because I need something from them that I'm not getting. I would leave because I'm realizing that I would be damaging them and hurting them by allowing them to think that this is the way they can best behave in order to be loved. It would be a disservice to them for me to continue staying in the situation with them and teaching them totally the wrong thing. So I have learned in my life I don't want to teach people how to mistreat me mm. by staying in the room. I'm not going to stay in the room. I'm not going to teach you how to mistreat me, but I will still love you and I will love you purely because I don't need anything 
from you. So the answer to your question is, even if it was a spouse or a live-in partner, I would love them purely. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that I would stay in the same house. I may mm -hmm. say, you know what? You live here and I'll go live over there. And because I, I don't choose to teach you that your behavior is okay. But I won't stop loving you. Never stop loving you because mm -hmm. I'm not loving you to get something in return. Yeah. I'm loving you as a demonstration of who I am. I like that. Definitely like that. Neil, here's my final question okay, in your book. Sure. Make, make it snappy because I, I have to have a cigarette. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if you continue doing that, Neil, I will choose to leave the room. But here's the question. You said in your book, beliefs create behaviors, behaviors create experience, and experience creates reality. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, I can tell you more about that. Beliefs create behavior, behavior creates experience, and experience creates reality. If I do this behavior, it's because I have a belief that by scratching my face with my fingernails, I will relieve the itch that I felt there a moment ago. So I have a belief about that. A belief creates a behavior. This is the behavior. Mm -hmm. The behavior creates an experience. I no longer feel that itch. And the experience creates a reality. So it's really very simple. Consciousness creates awareness. Awareness creates perspective. Perspective creates perception. Perception creates beliefs because seeing is believing. Beliefs create behaviors. Behaviors create experience and experience creates your reality. So if you want your reality to change, mm -hmm. the place to start is to elevate your consciousness. That's the whole point of the God solution that a new belief about who and what God is mm. will create a new understanding of who you are and who you're modeling your behavior on. And that will pr produce a new behavior which will generate a new experience for you and everyone whose life you touch. And that new experience will create a new reality. It's really quite simple. See, this is what people don't necessarily make the connection until they finally do. The reason I keep talking about it all over the world is human beings model their behavior on what they understand God's behavior to be. Mm -hmm. Do you know that over 80% of human laws, the laws of most countries, are based on some form of spiritual or religious belief? Yeah. Neil, you have given us so much food for thought, but can you please give the listeners one final message? Sure. <laughs> have as many of these every day as you, as you possi poss possibly can, because these are really good, good for your health. 
And for the listeners, Neil has this very creative cigarette made out of Kleenex paper, which he is still smoking. <laughs> the, the message that I would leave for people, I only do that because I'm hoping that people will really understand that there are certain behaviors that are not even good to your self. Mm -hmm. So take care of yourself and be good to yourself and allow yourself to receive your own love. And then see that we are all one and that what you do for others, you do for you because there really is only one of us. Therefore, in the largest sense, your life really has nothing to do with you. And th this is really the final message that I bring people around the world. And I asked God, why does my life work? What does it take to make life work? And God said, Neil, it's really very simple. You think your life is about you. And your life is not about you in the largest sense. It's not about little you, small you. It's not about local you. It's about universal you. And so, in the largest sense, your life is about everyone else whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. And when you understand that, your whole life will change. And I took that advice from conversations with God, and my whole life did change as a result. You actually hit the tagline for this podcast. The tagline is, we are one spirit, one soul. And you just said that as your final message. So thank you. But also, I have one curious question. Do you still talk to God at 4.23 a.m. every morning? All of us are talking to God all the time. The main message of Conversations with God is that it isn't Neil Donald Walsh who talks to God. It's all of us. God said very specifically, I talk to everyone all the time. The question is not, to whom am I talking? The question is, who's listening? So God is speaking to everybody all the time. God in us, the essence of love, which lives and resides within each of us, is constantly bringing to us an awareness of who we really are, a remembrance of our true nature. And so when you ask me, do I still talk to God at 4.23 in the morning? I talk to God all day long. And God talks to me all day long. And God talks to everybody all day long. And the communications we're receiving from God are received in many different forms of feeling, of mm -hmm. vision, something that we are expressing, something that we are hearing, a sense of awareness, a deep knowing that exists within us. So all we need to do is pay attention to what life itself is bringing to us and inviting us to bring through us to others. And we pay attention to that. And we all experience that not just Neil, but every one of us is having an ongoing conversation with God. Beautiful ending. Neil, thank you so much for this amazing two-part dialogue. I hope your words come true and I hope we do all 
come to agreement. I should say that I could be wrong about all of this. You know, everything I've told you could be wrong. I have no need to be right, nor do I claim to be right. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong about all of this. Well, it seems right to me. That's all I can say. And that's all I ask people is to try it out. And yeah. if it feels good to you, yeah. keep moving forward with those understandings. Yeah. Thank you again. Love the dialogue. Love everything that you're doing. And remember, listeners, the new book has just been released, and it is called The God Solution. And all of the links to how you can get that and to how you can reach Neil's website is going to be in my show notes. Thank you very much, Neil. You're welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Bye for now. Listeners, before I list my key takeaways, I want to express that the two interviews with Neil were truly magical for me. I will remember them for a really long time. Not only did his message leave me thinking, how can I serve this cause? But Neil's humor and humility kept me wanting to talk to him without stopping. I hope you enjoyed both episodes as well. Here is a list of my key takeaways. As Neil said, much of his message is different. It's a contradiction from many things that we have been told by our cultures, by religions, and by our nations. You will need to decide if we have reached a juncture in our evolution where it is necessary to adopt these ideas. And I truly hope that your answer is a resounding yes. 1. If we really moved forward in human society with pure love as our model, abject poverty would be eliminated because we would never allow our fellow beings to live in such conditions. 2. We don't have to agree with each other in order to love each other. And that's really very important for us to understand. We can still love those who have not behaved in ways with which, with which we agree. For example, if you're my spouse and you're mistreating me, I don't have to agree with you mistreating me just because I say I love you purely. It's not that I need you to treat me well. I simply am making my own choices about how I wish to experience myself in my life. So, I can choose not to live with you because you're mistreating me and still love you purely. Three, we are all one. And what you do for others, you do for you because there really is only one of us. And so in the largest sense, your life is about everyone else, whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. And when you understand that, your whole life will change. And lastly, all of us are talking to God all the time. Neil reiterated that God said very specifically, I talk to everyone all the time. The question is not to whom am I talking? The question is who is listening? So I leave you with this question. God is always talking to you, but are you listening? This brings us to the end of this wonderful two-part series. I will bring you another episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.